0: Well, let me invite you to join me in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Mark 5, we're going to consider a large chunk of text here this morning, Mark five twenty-one to 43. Um, some of life's challenges are truly intense, and for various reasons. Uh, sometimes it really comes down just to how long something has gone on, and, and gone on unresolved. And other times it has to do more with how soon a feared crisis is coming. Uh, Kind of a couple ideas. One, it's gone on for so long or it's coming so soon. You might have something in your life personally that's gone on for so long unresolved and you've done everything that you can to try to fix it, but nothing works. In fact, it may even seem that everything you try and every step you take Things just keep getting exponentially worse or more problematic. Uh, You may find yourself at your wit's end with it, maybe even in despair. And as you look towards the future, really, the way that it looks is actually quite bleak. And it it could be anything. I mean, the list could just really be anything in any person's life. It could be an unresolved family or marriage situation. It could be concern about a child. Uh, It could be conflict between you and another person. It could be some bodily ailment or illness, and there just doesn't seem to really be any answers. It could be a challenge related to work, but whatever it is, it's gone on for so long, and it is unresolved, and does not appear to be getting better. Or you might have something that's, that's coming so, so soon, and it feels more like a freight train that's coming down the tracks, and actually, you can see it. It's not that you're unaware. I mean, it is right there barreling down the tracks. You can see it, but there's nothing that you can do to stop it. And you feel horrified what's just over the horizon because something is impending. It could be the impending death of a loved one. You, can, you see it, you know it, it's coming. Or the impending diagnosis of a physician or change of a political party or the climate that that might bring. Or the coming termination of a relationship, a job, some comfort that you have known that you do not want to end, or who knows what else. Or it could be the unsalvageable wreck that someone is about to create. I mean, you can see it. You're watching this person, and they are literally about to create a disaster for themselves or throw so much of their future away or or, or do that for other people. But it's gone on for so long, or it's coming so soon. Many of life's problems are too intense for, for us to, hand, to handle, and I think that all of us have been there, and we know it, and we get it. In Mark 5, we are introduced to two, I just say, very ordinary, everyday people. And the first is a prominent man of sorts, and he's named Jairus. And he is in the midst of a very public, and, and what I mean by that, a, a visible crisis. His daughter is about to die. And it's coming so soon. And and it's like that freight train. He can see it, but there's nothing he can do to stop it. And the second is a little-known woman. In fact, we don't even know her name. The text doesn't even tell us. And she's in the midst of a very personal and simultaneously intensely private health crisis. And in her situation, it has gone on for so, so long, years in fact. And yet both individuals in this story demonstrate exemplary faith in Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He's Lord over nature. In Mark chapter 4, we saw Jesus with his disciples on the, storm, uh, on the sea and Jesus calmed the storm. He's Lord over demons. In the first half of chapter 5, last week, we, we see Jesus face to face with this uh, demoniac from the Gerasenes. And there's no question that Jesus is Lord, even in that space. And here today we see that he's Lord over disease and, and death. He is Lord of all. And because Jesus is Lord of all, there are some massive serious ramifications that come with that. What that means is that you can trust him through everything. The account in Mark 5, 21 to 43, takes on a bit of a sandwich structure in the sense that it moves from Jairus at the beginning of the story and then right in the middle it's this woman with the issue of blood and then it goes back to Jairus again. And we're going to kind of move around through both accounts as we consider this morning nine characteristics of exemplary faith. We'll park on a few of them and fly over a few of the others quickly. First, exemplary faith It shines brightest in times of desperation. There's a sense in which faith is always desperate. And these two individuals are certainly that, and you may be too. You may be sitting here today and you are desperate. And desperate faith can be public or it can be private. Uh, For Jairus, his situation is very public. And for the woman, her situation is very private. They can be public. Uh, look at verses 21 to 24 as we dive into the, the part with Jairus. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, you remember he was in, in the region of Capernaum. He crossed the lake over to this region of the Gerasenes where the demoniacs sat, and now he's come back. And he's back on the other side, and immediately a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Verse 22 then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And the the, the text tells us Jesus went with him. Off they go. Jairus's one and only daughter, one of the other gospel accounts tells us he just had one girl. His one and only daughter, she's 12 years old. She's going from just being a little girl and she's she's at kind of this this highlight point in, in Jewish family life where she's becoming a young woman. She's 12 years old. And she's about to die. And everyone around Jairus, his family, his friends, he's a ruler of the synagogue, probably the religious community that he's a part of, they're probably all aware of the situation. I'm guessing most of them have been praying for this little girl, but it's come to the end and, and it's public. Can you imagine how desperate Jairus is? I mean, this is his one and only little girl. And as much as he might like to as a father, he cannot take her place. He cannot lay in that bed for her and be sick for her and die for her, even although I'm sure he would if he could. He cannot leverage all of his financial wealth and buy healing. There's absolutely nothing that this man can do to help his little girl, and he knows that. And essentially, he's just powerlessly watching as she's about to slip away. He's desperate. And desperate faith can be public like that, or it can be private. As Jesus heads off with uh, Jairus to his house, he gets interrupted by a second character who has been down a very long, very lonely road of suffering. And she too wants to help, or wants help, and she's extremely desperate. But her situation is very, very private, and it is very, very personal. The last thing she wants to do is draw attention to what she's got going on. Look at verses 24 to 28. Remember, uh, Jesus is heading down the road with Jairus. He's being swarmed by a crowd of people. Verse 24, and he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians, and it had been all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment, for she said, "If I touch even his garments, I will be made well." Uh, the text says that she had had an issue of blood for twelve years. Uh, we don't know precisely what she was dealing with. In fact, apparently the doctors didn't really get it either. But whatever it is, it's private. Apparently related in some way to her female anatomy, and it's chronic. It's been an issue for 12 years. and I mean, perhaps it was some kind of chronic menstrual disorder or hemorrhaging from the womb or uterus, vaginal bleeding. If you feel uncomfortable with me talking about it, just imagine how uncomfortable this woman is and how she must have felt. According to Leviticus 15, 25 to 27, she would have been, uh, as a result of all this, ceremonially unclean, which would have led to a very, very isolated, lonely life in her society. The text says that she had suffered much under many physicians. and You can just imagine going back 2,000 years to physicians trying to help this woman. Medical professionals couldn't help her. Their attempts only intensified her suffering. And the text says, uh, at least in my mind, just a very fascinating statement comes next. It says she had spent all that she had. Uh, The text gives the impression that she may be single, she may be widowed. I I just find it interesting. It it says she spent all that she, not her and her husband and her family, had. I can't say this is fact, but we get the idea that she may be all on her own. And everything is gone now. She doesn't have any money, her future is not bright. She's privately suffering more than likely very much on her own, and she has leveraged everything she has in search of a solution. And probably every time she leveraged more, she thought maybe this time, and the hopes, and the crash, and the hopes, and the crash. Each time she's come up empty. The text continues she was no better, but rather grew worse. Her situation is ripe for despair, it's basically hopeless. And it's gone on for so long, and she is so desperate. And desperate faith, whether like in the case of Jairus, it can be uh, quite public, or in her situation, it can be very private. Some of you can relate to Jairus or to this woman, and you're feeling the types of things that they were feeling, though your situation may be very different. You're living and experiencing some of the things that they were living and experiencing in some way, shape, or form. You feel like you can relate. You are desperate. You know what God is calling on you to do right now? God is calling on you right now to demonstrate exemplary faith. And while exemplary faith, the kind that is desperate, can be public or private, I can tell you one thing, that it never is. Desperate faith cannot be proud. Desperate faith and pride do not coexist. In fact, each drives the other out of the room. Uh, This whole language of desperation means that you're at the end of your road. And at the end of yourself, you realize that the answer or solution is not found in you. You are desperate. You do not have it. And perhaps in your own life situation, God is allowing some kind of desperate situation to rid you of all of your pride and all of your self-sufficiency leaving you with only one road forward, the road of desperate faith. Desperate faith and humility, they're actually like twins. Desperate faith and pride, they drive each other out of the room. Desperate faith and humility, they're right there together. And we see them in the life of both of these individuals, and I want to show you that first with Jairus. Look back at verses 22 and 23. Jesus has just got off out of the boat. He's there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, surrounded by all these people. Verse 22 Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Uh, Jairus and the woman both do the exact same thing at various points in this story. They both come to Jesus. Uh, The language of coming is used of both of them. And then after that language of coming, we read of both of them at some point that they fall at the feet of Jesus. And they both humbly then tell Jesus about their desperate situation. Jairus does that in verses 22 and 23. The woman does it in verse 33 But I think it's really clear, desperate faith cannot be proud. Jairus, just to add a little bit more color to the story, we read that he is a ruler of the synagogue. The religious establishment proudly stood against Jesus in previous chapters. In fact, it had already set out to to destroy or to kill him. Chapter 3, verse 6, not Jairus. He's humbly on his face in desperation before Jesus. I doubt the religious compa- his religious companions were impressed. We're, we're going to kill this guy. We hate him, and their Jairus is on his face, just falling down before Jesus. There he is. Desperate faith cannot be proud. Uh, we've probably all seen the movie scene. you know it's the rooftop chase, and the guns are you know blazing and firing, and someone's running, and then someone falls over the edge of a building, and there they are hanging by their fingernails in desperation or over the edge of a cliff and about to plummet to their death or they've fallen into quicksand and every little movement they make, it's like they're going down a little bit further. And in some way, I think that type of imagery seems to portray the idea of desperate faith. Person hanging over the edge of a cliff, or about to, to to drown and die in quicksand, and yet all they can do really is just look up. I can't do anything. In fact, in quicksand, if I move, it get, it gets worse. Basically, I can't. I cannot do it, Jesus. I am at the end of me. Please deliver me. And Jesus loves that kind of faith. In fact, I would, I would go so far to say he's actually the one that even enables that kind of faith in the first place. He loves it. He is Lord of all. And whatever it is that you may be going through right now, you can have this same kind of exemplary faith that shines in times of desperation. There is something beautiful about being broken and being at the end of yourself. And that is the situation for both of these individuals. Second characteristic of exemplary faith, it rests in the person and power of Jesus. What makes this faith so great? I and mean, we can go, you know, I need to have this faith and I just need to be really, really strong in my faith. Well, actually, that's not what we see here. What makes this kind of faith so great? Well, it's not the greatness of the person who possesses it, but the greatness of the person uh, on whom it rests. Jesus Christ. Exemplary faith rests in the person of Jesus. Both Jairus and this woman come to a person to fix their problems. They very simply see Jesus as the solution and the answer. Their faith is resting on a person. Jesus. And along with that, exemplary faith rests in the power of Jesus. In verse 23, Jairus says to Jesus, these are his words. Come and lay your hands on her. Basically, Jesus, please come touch my daughter so that she may be made well and live. There's no question in Jairus' mind that Jesus can heal his daughter. And then verse 28, the woman said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. There's this confidence in the power of Jesus. Both recognize that he has the power to meet their need. Of that, they are extremely confident. Exemplary faith rests in the person and power of Jesus. I would imagine some of you East Coasters probably just love your lighthouses. Uh, There's a beautiful lighthouse in Nova Scotia at a place called Peggy's Cove. Uh, I could be wrong. I'm guessing some of you sitting here today, you've been there. You've seen it. I've never been there myself, but um, the pictures that I've seen is just this, this beautiful lighthouse basically sitting on a giant rock or a giant pile of rocks, just massive boulders. And uh, I found just some amazing pictures and video footage that's been captured of that lighthouse sitting out there on that rock in the midst of storms. Massive waves crashing up around it. Even, in fact, uh, pictures and and videos of a hurricane coming and just swamping over it. The truth of the matter is that lighthouse would not have a chance if it wasn't for what it was sitting on and what it was built into. I mean, it could be built really, really strong. But it's going to go over It's what that lighthouse is anchored to and sitting on in the midst of that chaos and storm that keeps it there. And that's what exemplary faith is like. It rests in and on the person and power of Jesus Christ. And we see that in both of these people. It's Jesus. My faith is resting on him. In times of desperation, he is the rock on which feeble faith rests through the storm. And that's what Jesus is calling you to. Just like these people to rest your faith as feeble and faltering as it may be. We're not here to talk about how strong a person's faith is, but what it rests on. And yours may be very feeble, it may be very faltering, it may be struggling. But what does it sit on? It should sit on Christ and on Him alone. You can have that kind of exemplary faith that rests in the person and power of Jesus just want to get you thinking about yourself right now what are you looking to and resting on right now like seriously what is it it must be something what are you placing your confidence in and on right now that you can weather the storm that some person is going to help you get this all figured out that things just get better over time These people are resting their faith on Jesus. And that's what God wants you to do as well. A third characteristic, exemplary faith is beautifully simple and yet remarkably robust. Exemplary faith is not complex. I want you to listen to these statements again. In verse 23, Jairus says to Jesus, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. It's a really simple statement. Jesus, please come heal my daughter. You can do it. In verse 28, the woman said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Uh, apparently, she was saying that to herself repeatedly. The, the original tense of the verbs kind of brings that idea out that she's there, and she's probably saying as she walks the direction of Jesus and trying to make this big move and touch his garment, that she is saying to herself again and again, if I can just touch his garments, I'll be made well. If I can just touch his garments, I'll be made well. If I can just touch his garments, I'll be made well. Exemplary faith looks in one place, and it looks in one direction. It looks at Jesus. It's that simple. Jesus is the one-stop shop, you might say. Exemplary faith is beautifully simple, and yet it is robust. It's simple. It's Jesus. And it's robust. It's Jesus. Jesus can do it. Jesus can powerfully meet my Need. He's Lord of all, which means that you can rest your faith in Him and that it can be beautifully simple and yet remarkably robust. Uh, Look at your problems, on the other hand, they may be very complex, but you need to remember that the solution is always simple. Yeah, super complex problems, but at the end of the day, the solution is very simple. It's Jesus. And God may use means, he often does, God may use doctors, he may use human uh, effort and work and conversations and other people. But at the end of the day, the heart of the answer is Jesus Christ. None of those other things actually represent the solution. He is the answer. Number four, exemplary faith experiences the amazing power of the Lord. Verses 21 to 23, uh, Jairus comes up to Jesus. He falls down on his face, begs him to come heal his daughter, and off Jesus and Jairus go. And meanwhile, there's this massive crowd of people as they're walking through the streets and wherever they're going that's just swarming and pressing in on Jesus. And it's as they're traveling that the woman with the issue of blood comes up behind Jesus, and she's trying to make this, this indiscreet attempt to just sort of sneak in there. And she just, I'm just going to touch his garment and I'll be healed and I'm going to quietly sneak off into the crowd. Look at verses 24 to 29. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said if I touch even his garments I will be made well and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease this woman was immediately healed Uh, she could physically tell and feel just right away it's gone She did not take something from Jesus. He's giving something to her. Twelve years, though, of frustration and shame. Twelve years of this resolved in a moment. Jesus miraculously and instantaneously healed her. God wants you to experience the amazing power of the Lord, and that may come in the form of miraculous healing. Do you believe that God could do that? That instantaneously he could meet your need, just boom, fixed it, resolved it. Deliver you from your desperate situation. He may fix the problem or his amazing power may actually come in the form of, of just miraculous grace to see you through it. But exemplary faith always experiences the amazing power of the Lord. When you rest your confidence on Jesus Christ, you will find his grace. It's there to be had. A fifth characteristic, exemplary faith is a unique possession. Look at verse 30 to 31. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Jesus asks who touched him, and his disciples go, are you crazy? People are crowding around you, like, I mean, who hasn't touched you? But Jesus knew that he had just done something special for the woman. And I think it's just worth just very quickly noting that all kinds of people were near Jesus. All kinds of people had brushed up against his garments. Those, those, those people, there was nothing magical going on. If you just touch his garments, then you'll be healed. It, people aren't, they're not experiencing what this woman just experienced. They're not experiencing really anything at all. Exemplary faith is unique. Not all possess it, even though they may be very, very near to Jesus. Whatever's going on here is unique. And number six, to add some clarity, exemplary faith is relational. Let's keep reading in verses 32 and 33. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and now she's going to do exactly what we saw Jairus do. She fell down. Before him. And she told him the whole truth. This woman wants to quietly sneak away. Remember her plan? I mean, it's all about being discreet here. She's going to touch his garment, and I'm going to make my run for it. (laughs) And I'll be healed. And no one will ever know. But Jesus wants relationships. Jesus wants to do more than just distribute blessings. Here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. He's interested in the person and he knows something has happened. Again, she didn't take something from her. He gave something to her. And so Jesus, he's walking about and then he turns around in this massive crowd of people and he's looking for who it is that has touched him. He wants to make eye contact. He wants to look her right in the face. And at that point, The woman comes forward in humble reverence, fear and trembling, awe of Jesus. In homage, she falls down before him, and the text says she tells the whole truth. Here's my story. I came here today, and here's what was going on. And she tells him about her desperate situation and about her faith in him. And I think God wants us to remember exemplary faith is always relational. It's it's placed in a person, but it's also both directions. And unlike so many others who had been healed by Jesus already in the Gospel of Mark, this woman appears not just to have confidence that Jesus could heal her, but saving faith in Jesus. And she views him as the king. And it could be argued that the same is true of Jairus. He's Lord of all. Exemplary faith is relational at its core. It's it's a person and Jesus, Jesus and that person. Maybe I could just pause for a moment to look at this larger picture. It seems somewhere in this story that this woman maybe has just trusted Christ for salvation or somewhere in there, but it seems like that's the case. Where exactly it happened, a little bit hard to tell. But it seems like that's the story. And really, more than any kind of faith, God wants you to have the kind of faith that we might call saving faith. And you just think about what we've seen so far about faith always being desperate. At the end of self. And that's where any relationship with Jesus Christ begins. Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord. He is demonstrating that. And any person who is going to have any kind of relationship with Jesus and be made right with God, it starts at a point of desperation that basically goes, I am at the end of myself. I am a sinner, and I cannot save myself. I cannot fix this, and I am desperate. And this whole portrayal of coming down and falling before Jesus and bowing before him in in homage... And looking to him to be the one to actually provide the answer. It's how salvation works. It's how forgiveness and cleansing of sin works. It's how eternal life, is. That's, that's, that's the picture. That a person is at the end of themselves recognizing that they are a sinner and they realize that there is only one answer here and it is Jesus. There is only one answer to my sin problem and it is him. It is his person and it is his power and it is what, it, what he did on the cross for me. And maybe that has never happened in your life. And God wants you to come and bow and fall down before Jesus and recognize, Jesus, you are Lord, and you can cleanse me, and you can save me, and you can make me whole and new. Will you forgive me? I cannot cleanse myself. And faith always enjoys and experiences the power of the Lord. Saving power. So I'd encourage you, if you've never done so, to just cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you save? Will you deliver me from my sin? I want a relationship with you. Number seven, exemplary faith enjoys wholeness and peace. Look at verse 34. She spills out everything. She she publicly shares it all and her faith in Jesus. Verse 34, he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus has more to give this woman than the physical healing of her body. Jesus sends her away with peace and wholeness. And yes, in this scenario, that included bodily wholeness. But peace and wholeness, they're bigger than just the human body. Both those things, peace and wholeness, are byproducts of trusting Christ as Savior. And they're also both byproducts of trusting Christ through the times of earthly desperation. That through the desperation, through the trial, through the difficulty, faith and confidence in Jesus, you know what comes as a result of that? Not just God's power to either resolve the situation or give you the grace to see you through it, but peace and wholeness along the way. And those two gifts can be re- enjoyed regardless of the way that God demonstrates his power. Regardless of if he fixes it right then and there. And on the flip side of that, when you put your trust and confidence anywhere else, you forfeit peace and wholeness. Those things, they're directly tied to Jesus. It's him. He is the one that dispenses those blessings. And what great gifts they are. He's Lord of all, and you can have a faith and confidence in him that enjoys those wonderful gifts of peace and wholeness in the midst of the chaos. Number eight, exemplary faith perseveres against the odds. Let's jump down to verse 35 and 36. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Follow the flow of the narrative up to this point. Jairus, he's the first one on the scene in the midst of this crowd to get Jesus' attention, so to speak, and he does, and Jesus is going to help him. And off they go to Jairus' house. At least, Jesus is going to go help Jairus until Jesus gets distracted. And he gets focused on somebody else. And now, in that lapse of time, guess what has happened? Jairus' daughter is dead. I mean, just put yourself in Jairus' shoes. Like, okay, I've got his attention. He's coming to my house. Off we go. We're running through the streets with people all around us. And, Jesus, what are you doing? What the, no, 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 no. You cannot pause for this lady. We've got to get to my house. Seriously, Jesus, come on. And here Jesus is taking this time with this woman. And he's probably trying to keep his mouth shut and yet dying on the inside and just wants to yell at Jesus. Come on. And now all of a sudden, news comes from Jairus' house. Jairus gets tapped on the shoulder and, you know, his heart rate's probably been up in the hustle and bustle. And, hey, Jairus, your, your daughter's gone. I mean, what? I mean, can you imagine? Just put yourself in Jairus's shoes. His daughter's dead, and Jesus over overhears the words of these messengers, and he essentially overhearing them just ignores them, and he, he looks at Jairus and tells Jairus, Jairus, no, 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 do not fear. Only believe. And apparently, Jairus did that very thing, and so I think we see some really neat things here. That faith perseveres amidst delay. Jesus allowed the delay. And, you know, in real time, as the story is going on, Jairus can't see that. Jairus doesn't get or understand any of this. But Jesus allowed the delay to demonstrate his authority over death. But Jairus doesn't know that. Are you trusting the Lord while he delays seemingly getting to your concern? Jesus, what are you? Hurry up. Faith perseveres amidst delay. And similarly there, it perseveres amidst hopeless situations. The situation with Jairus' daughter at the beginning of the story, it's desperate. It's extremely desperate, but it went from that to something worse. Now it seems hopeless. Desperate to hopeless. What's the point? I mean, that's what the messengers are saying. Don't trouble him anymore. She's gone. Jesus says, only believe. Faith keeps going when the situation turns from desperate to hopeless. Faith keeps looking at Jesus. It perseveres amidst delay, amidst hopeless situations, and even amidst skepticism. Uh, Let's continue reading this text, verses 37 to 43. He says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And Then in verse 7, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So the crew's gotten smaller. And then verse 38, they come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. She's dead, remember. Verse 41. Taking her, this little dead 12-year-old girl, by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus arrives at Jair's house. The funeral's actually already begun. There's quite the commotion. As was the custom of the day, and this is r- weird, but a cultural dynamic that was going on. Professional mourners and musicians had been hired to play and wail loudly. And this is just how it worked hire these people, and they're playing their instruments, and these professional mourners are basically coming in and weeping and wailing. Well, Jesus tells them to stop, and he says, the child is not dead, but sleeping. The idea is, the death of this girl is real, but Jesus says it's temporary. In verse 40 says, when Jesus said that to them, the child is not dead, but sleep- sleeping, these people laughed at him. They've been hired to weep and wail for this thing. And Jesus says this and they're, they're laughing. They don't believe that at all. They're skeptical. If I'm Jairus, I don't know what I am. I'm hurting. I'm crying. I'm a mess. Now I'm probably mad. You know, like I just hate all of this. He could have sent Jesus away. You know what? This is not helpful. Just leave. But that's not what's going on with Jairus. It doesn't matter what the skeptics are saying. Faith perseveres. Jesus raised, and, and, and then all those, what's interesting to me is all those people get sent away. None of them get to be the eyewitness, uh, eyewitnesses of the great thing that Jesus is about to do. But Jairus, he's right there. And he gets to see it with his own eyes as Jesus raises his daughter from the dead. You know, you can have that kind of faith too, that perseveres against the odds. And this is not about you. Again, this is not about you. Just muster it up. Just have it. You know, just be strong. No, no, no. It, it just keeps coming to back to the person. This confidence is in Jesus and his power. And number nine, exemplary faith, trust, in a wonderful, wonderful person. These are accounts, we've gone through a massive chunk of text, but all along the way, there, there have been these special little Things shared with us about Jesus. Like what? Well, things like this, that his care is available. What's the picture? Well, Jesus just got off this boat, and probably before his feet ever hit the shore, there are hundreds of people thronging around that have been waiting for him to cross the sea. And yet in the midst of all that chaos, Jesus' care is available. It's available to you. It's available to people both great and small. Jairus, on the one hand, he's kind of this known entity around town. He's an important figure in society. The woman, on the other hand, we literally don't even know what her name is. She's not prominent in society, and yet in both instances, Jesus has time for each of them. He cares about the individual. Further, his care is available at all times Uh, Again, there's just this crazy scene, all kinds of people thronging, wanting Jesus' attention. And both of these people, do you know what they do? They both interrupt Jesus. And he stops. And he gives them both his full attention. His care is available. And along with that, his care is personal, familial, and it's tender. In the crowd, he focuses on the person. And he uses this language, he, he calls the woman, he says to her, he calls her daughter. And the language of family. And he takes, he gets to Jairus' house and he goes to this back room where this dead girl is at and he takes her by the hand. And then after uh, he raises her from the dead, he he mentions her need to eat. Go get her something to eat. Just think about this. This little girl's own mother, now granted, I'm sure she's shocked and amazed and overjoyed. But her own mother hadn't even thought about that need yet. But Jesus did. Mothers are known for their attentiveness and affection. I'm always amazed when our family piles into the van to go on a trip, whether that's for a day or whether it's for a couple days. Um, my wife has literally thought of every single thing our kids are going to need. It's just one of those like motherly, They just. it's just how it works. I mean, if that was up to me, we'd be in huge trouble. My friend and I went on a fishing trip this last summer and hooked the boat up to the truck, and we're like two hours down the road, and we realize, oh, <laughs> where are our life jackets? We didn't bring our fishing poles. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is not good. And we're now in the middle of nowhere. Really, the, the care and attentiveness as a mother, it is unrivaled. You, you cannot touch it. It's so great. And yet the care and attentiveness of a mother does not rival the care of Jesus. He's Lord of all. You can have exemplary faith and trust in him. He is a wonderful person. You can trust him through Everything. And you can have this kind of exemplary faith, not because it's there somewhere in you, but because it can rest on him securely. Not because of you, but because of him. Would you bow your heads with me?